Changing a song can change your whole day. But change has never been this powerful. At Nissan's Year of the Truck and SUV event, we're rolling out our capable new lineup and big savings. Shop your local Nissan store and choose Nissan.com. Offers end soon. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. Chuck Morse, your host of, of uh, Chuck Morse Speaks at Blog Talk Radio. And uh, we are awaiting the arrival of my guest, that being uh, Arthur R. Thompson. He's the author of the book, To the Victor Go the Myths and Monuments, the history of the first 100 years of the war against God and the Constitution, 1776 to 1876, and its modern impact. And uh, I believe that we are now joined by Arthur Arthur Thompson. Arthur, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Oh, my pleasure. You know, I'm really enjoying this book. It's very timely, and uh, you get into essentially a history of the radical left in the United States, surprisingly going all the way back to the around the time of the American Revolution. Most people assume the radical left started in the 20th century, and you uh, you, you show the intersection between the development of that left and Europe going back to the founding of the Illuminati, which was on May 1st, 1776. And uh, it's a very difficult history to document and to record because it is secretive and because much of the information has been obscured and destroyed. So I'm learning a lot about, about history that I didn't know about by reading this book. And I want to thank you for writing it. Well, that's fine. I My pleasure, actually. It, uh, it took 45 years to <laughs> bring it all together. Um, you know, I, the thing that got me started was uh, I was on my way to a, a, a meeting with four men in a car, and one of the fellows in the back seat said, well, my state finally paid off its uh, war bonds. And I said, oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Like, you know, why would I care? <laughs> but I said, from Korea? Right. No. The Second World War? No. I says, well, what war bonds are you talking about? And he says, from the Civil War. And it had been 100 yeah. years. It had been 100 years since the defeat of uh, the South. And so I said to myself, well, what else don't I know about this time period? Well, it kept leading me back and back and back and back uh, until I realized that uh, there was a heavy influence into the United States by the Illuminati and uh, its effect. Now, you cannot deny the historical fact of the Illuminati. The, the thing where people get into a debate is they is whether or not uh, it had any influence and how much influence and whether it went out of business uh, when many of the history books say it did, uh, et cetera. Uh, and there is a lot of uh, stuff out there on the Internet and in books about the Illuminati that are just uh, quite frankly, right. gross right. exaggeration. But yeah. but when you really look into it seriously and comprehensively and uh, logically and, and so on and so forth, their influence was profound. Absolutely. Well, first of all, the uh, the existence of the Illuminati, founded by Adam Weissop, who's a, um, a canon law professor at Ingolstadt University in Munich, Bavaria. That's not even controversial at all in Europe. I mean, it's well known. It's just a it's part of the history of Europe. And Winston Churchill made reference to it um, in the 1930s. You know, it's just uh, it's part of the firmament. Um, what appears to be controversial is whether or not it continued after it was banned by the uh, Bavarian police. However, the ideas of the Illuminati 
absolutely have continued, and there's every indication that it did continue in various forms and under various guises. It just sort of does like, I mean, anyone who understands how the left operates today knows that they can shapeshift themselves. They could even become conservative if they need to. They can disguise their, their chameleon-like in that they, I mean, Marx talks about this in the final passage of the Communist Manifesto. He said you have to adapt yourself to the country where you're operating and, um, and, and all for the, you know, the ultimate good of creating a one-world air college. And that, uh, you know, th- this is just part of how they operate. So, you know, there's every reason to assume that they continued under different guises. And yet it's difficult to know what that is because it's secret. Because it's secret, we can speculate. You and I may not agree about specifics. Like I happen to think that um, it's, it's a fact that um, Weissop used the uh, ma- uh, European masonry to He infiltrated it. He imitated it. And, and he used that secret infrastructure to, uh, to spread the Illuminati. I think that masonry has been completely corrupted by the Illuminati. Um, you, you seem to think that it's, it's really not. But, but either way, I mean, we can't know because these are, these are secret societies by nature. Well, they are. And, uh, but the, the thing is, too, you've got to, again, ask the question, what is masonry? There's masons and masons. So I, will, uh, I would agree with you on, let me say I half agree with you, <laughs> in that mm-hmm. sure. there are certain masons, uh, certain mason orders that you're absolutely correct. Uh, there are other Masonic orders that are influenced but not uh, controlled. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, the you get into a, a discussion of how uh, the the Illuminati, which I think it's been very confirmed by history, um, was the uh, main uh, spawn of the French Revolution, which yes. was a counter revolution, really. I mean, we should recall that um, King Louis the Sixteenth, who was an ally of the United States and who was, a, who was seen as a great man in the United States. We have cities named after him, including Louisville, Kentucky, uh, that uh, he basically agreed to hold a, uh, the estates general, and, uh, and by doing so, he affected the French Revolution without firing a shot. He said, I'll, I'll continue as a, uh, as a constitutional monarch, and he um, started the process of... Uh, the uh, National writing up a, a new constitution, which was influenced by Benjamin Franklin, I mean, and also Thomas Jefferson, and, and some of the great Americans were in Paris in those years, John Adams and many others. And they, uh, you know, but but what happened is that in the ensuing years, the thing was co-opted by secret societies, and eventually it was overthrown. He was beheaded. The constitution was rewritten, and uh, the Jacobins launched the Reign of Terror which is the world's first communist revolution. And that, that was completely contrary to what the French people expected. They wanted to have a more American-like system. They admired the United States. They, they didn't necessarily want to get rid of their king, but they wanted to do, they wanted to move in the direction of individual freedom. Would well, that's right. be accurate on that? Yep. The, the thing is that what um, a lot of people don't understand well enough is that uh, a society uh, will actually uh, form its own government and maintain its own government. If you change that society, it will effectively change the government no matter what you do. 
Now, if you do not change that society and you have a communist revolution, then what happens is that society possibly could come back with a counter-revolution and throw the rascals out, maybe even execute them. If you read Karl Marx, particularly the Communist Manifesto, they always referred to as uh, what they wanted as social revolution. In other words, change society. And uh, in the structure of cha- in, in the process of changing that structure of society, uh, it will affect the government that they want. That's what's happening in our country. They are systematically changing our society until ultimate through a number of different things. The the one that I uh, immigration is one of them. I've never known anywhere in history where mass immigration or migration has not changed the country into which that migration went. But the thing mm-hmm. that they there's there are basically four catalysts for changing society. Number one and the best one is war. The second one is mm-hmm. terrorism. The third is economic collapse, and the fourth is migration. Now, war has to take place on the soil uh, of that country. Everybody will do what they have to do to win a war. In other words, uh, the citizens themselves will tax themselves, uh, put chains on themselves, and everything else in the name of winning the war. Uh, For instance, in World War II, prior to that, you didn't have any tax on cigarettes. Then suddenly they said, okay, in the name of the war, we're going to have a cigarette tax. Well, when the war was over, they didn't take that tax away. They kept the, the tax. Now, that's sure. neither a good or a bad thing. It's just an example. And so what happens in time of war is that they will do these things, and and it never goes to the way it was before the war. Even if they have the best intentions, uh, it, they will always maintain a certain amount of that government, that government control, that government taxation and regulation and everything else. So in order to change, they tried to change the United States at first with the Jacobin Revolution within our country right after the the declaration, I mean, right after the ratification of the Constitution. But it didn't work, and they realized they were going to have to change the American society to make it work. And they brought about the war, the Civil War, specifically for that Mm -hmm. purpose. And uh, they didn't. In fact, if you take a look at the 10 steps for communizing a country that was outlined by Marx and Engels in the Communist Manifesto, the United States government went 50 percent to 100 percent toward every one of those 10 steps as a result of the war. Uh, And they've never looked back. Uh, There were some things that eased off, but go ahead. Well, I mean, look, you make the point that – you know, in a sense, the what we euphemistically call the Eastern Seaboard liberal establishment, that they are uh, rather than outright implementing authoritarian dictatorship and turning the United States immediately into a province of a one-world order, they do it by by what um, the communist Antonio Gramsci called the Great March through the American through the culture. They do it by gradually, incrementally, step by step taking over the the financial system, the business system, the cultural system, the colleges, certainly the academic world, the performing arts, uh, the media, you know, all of our institutions of of education, of learning, of transmittal of information. And they do it gradually over time. Oh, absolutely, especially. Um, You know, they they will co-opt 
um, you know, organizations. They have a very interesting means of doing it. It's something that, I mean, I've actually written about this in one of my books. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's something that we need to learn about and understand. But, you know, we, we were talking about how in modern times this was established by the Illuminati. Of course, it goes before that. I mean, this is an idea that um, Whitaker Chambers described it as the world's second oldest religion and that he used the metaphor of the Garden of Eden. When Eve was tempted by the, uh, the forbidden fruit, she, uh, the serpent said, you can be as gods. You can know all good and all evil. In other words, you can overthrow God in heaven. And that's been the communist ethos all the way back to uh, pagan times. I mean, the, the Bible warns us about this when they talk about paganism. It wasn't just idol worship, worshiping a graven image. There was a lot going on around that. It was worship of the state. And the, the yeah. graven image was obviously a false entity that was manipulated by the state. And they were warning us to not worship the state, but worship God because God has immutable truths that are beyond manipulation by the state. But anyway, bringing it to modern times, you have the Illuminati, and then you have their ideas, and the key ideas of the Illuminati is the one world ant colony. And that in order to achieve it, they have to tear down institutions and ideas that represent, that help the individual advance and be a sovereign individual thinker. And those include religion, private ownership, business, the right to trade goods and services, and sovereignty. And that these things gradually have to be whittled away and eroded. And that's how they work their way, by worming the way into the system. And that's what they've been doing in this country, as you say. Well, that's right. And at the same time, they have to, uh, which we've just kind of tangentially talked about, they have to lower the, lower the morality level of the population. In other words, a moral people can rule oh, itself, and immoral people cannot. They have to be ruled. And so they've been steadily eroding our morality. Now, a lot of people don't realize that morality, tra- morality transcends what I do as an individual. Uh, what I do as an individual, I get a lot of sermons every Sunday on that. But there aren't very many pastors that talk about civic morality. And they've divorced that whole idea out of Christendom, basically, in this country, to where there's very seldom any pastor or, or priest or anybody else gets up and talks about civic morality. What you need to do in your community to uphold your communities, uh, you know, as a, as a good neighborhood, as a good local government, uh, so on and so forth, that used to be imbued within the, uh, the American people. In fact, that was imbued in them before we even had the War of Independence. John Adams stated that the real revolution was the education of the people before the War of Independence, that it never would have happened if the American people didn't understand their responsibility under God uh, for for a decent uh, uh, system of government. Uh, and that yep. is the thing that's terribly lacking today. Oh, absolutely. Uh, speaking myself as a Jew, I can tell you that I look to the Torah, which has an entire code of morality and ethics. It teaches mm-hmm. me how I am to interact with other people, personally, professionally. It teaches me how nations should interact with each other, how families should interact with each other. It establishes private property. It establishes limited government, which it did at Sinai. If you look at the passages dealing with Jethro, it establishes mm-hmm. the rules of engagement when it comes to war. It began the, policy, the process of abolishing slavery and accepting individual sovereignty under God 
It established labor laws. I mean, it establishes everything is in it. And the fact is that the left has to undermine that because rather than have an immutable code of moral and ethical structure, which we can look to and which cannot be altered, they want to alter it. They want to transform it and change it to suit their own earthly goals. In other words, they want to replace God, just like what the serpent said. They want to be able to say, you know, this is now what we think is right because we're, we're, we're smarter, we're better than God, we're better than you. And that uh, they will th- therefore, you know, shapeshift uh, morality to fit the, uh, the situation as it stands. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, they have, uh, you don't hear preachers today, rabbis, ministers, priests for that matter, even though I think the Catholic Church still has, has a lot of moral weight. Uh, you don't hear them talk about uh, the morals and the ethics of the Bible. You know, I mean, it's just, it's all sort of situational now. Well, that's true, uh, but there are there there is uh, still a remnant, and uh, they do teach uh, uh, and preach uh, really sound uh, biblical uh, principles. But rarely do they teach the, uh, the their principles as it relates to civic uh, government. That's that's a real problem. In fact, I, I, I was just reading some statistics this last week, and I hope they're not true, mm-hmm. but I'm afraid that they are. And that is that uh, close to 70% of those individuals who refer to themselves as Christians either don't vote or aren't registered to vote. And, oh, my uh, God, that's horrible. The, it, it is an appalling uh, situation. As being, it was done by a Christian group. It wasn't, uh, you know, it was just trying to say yeah. to everybody, get out there and and do what you're supposed to do. Uh, well, at I, mean, any rate. I think that the the those who have been influenced by illuminated ideas, whether they're consciously uh, parts of secret societies or not, is beside the point. I think most people aren't. They just, uh, you know, they've they've internalized these things. That they've been brainwashed since childhood to understand that um, certain ideas, it's like a carrot and stick. If you agree with certain things, you get awards, you get the advancement, you get social acceptance, you get to date, you know, and if you disagree, then you're, you, you know, you're excoriated publicly and you could lose your advantage and you could, uh, you know, they make examples of people all the time. I've seen it in my own life. And, you know, you have a, a situation where thus people are conforming to these ideas. Now, you say you think that um, Christian organizations and the, the church has been, uh, th- th- that illuminated figures have wormed their way into it. And I think this is an example of that. I mean, if, if Christians feel that they are not engaged, they don't need to engage in civic life, then that, to me, that has to be part of a conspiracy. Absolutely. Now, they very early on uh, started to capture the Christian uh, publishing houses. I mean, way back, over 100 years ago, mm-hmm. 150 years ago. And they didn't have to change uh, the Bible. All they had to do was to change the attitude towards its its reading and comprehension. Uh, and this mm-hmm. is the thing that, that a lot of people don't recognize is that if I am in, uh, ingrained with the idea that I'm not really supposed to be involved in earthly matters, then th- that does a complete, uh, 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 how, how I, it sears my brain, so to speak. And yeah. uh, I, I don't read 
the scripture the way I ought to read it, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament. And yet, from cover to cover, from Genesis to, you know, Revelation, it, it says you have to oppose evil and the consequences of not doing so. It's amazing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's complete engagement in this world, and it's but it's given when we have a blueprint from from heaven to to teach us and to give us guideposts on how to engage in this world and how to measure our lives. And you know, you talk about changing the meaning of words, changing the meaning of passages. I mean, that's that's absolutely a part of of the uh, the illuminated agenda. It was articulated by Marx. In, in many of his pamphlets, and it was part of this British Fabian movement in the late 19th century when the Fabians said, we're not going to be able to take over England through a, a Bolshevik-style revolution, so we're going to do it by, by bore, as I said, boring from within, changing the yep. meaning of laws, changing the meaning of words, and they then, of course, transplanted that into the United States in the form of an organization called the American Civil Liberties Union. And basically what they've done is They've changed the meaning of words, literally. Like the word patriot comes to mean paying taxes. You know, the word welfare comes to mean, you know, it's it's really what, what we're talking about is, is private charity. It becomes government confiscation of wealth. Uh, you know, the, the word abortion is a euphemism for killing the unborn child. What are they aborting? You know, a, a, an airplane flight? In other words, they use euphemism, they use sophistry, and they change the meaning of words so that uh, we become used to reading the exact same text, but we understand it differently. Well, in the book, uh, we're, you know, my book, we uh, yeah. I point out that that was started by the Illuminati and perfected under uh, Nikolai Bonneville in his circle social mm -hmm. or social circle in Paris. They actually published a dictionary. Uh, to get uh, their minions to start changing the meaning of these words in their conversations and writing. I, just to give you an example, when I was growing yeah. up, uh, when I was a little kid, if you called a person a square a square guy, that meant he was four square. He was you know he was forthright. He was honest. He was yeah. responsible, etc. Until I got to be a young adult, and you called a guy a square, he was a nerd. They had changed right. the word. Right. And they, they do it that become, even... It's taken on a derogatory meaning, yeah. Yeah, completely. Uh, and and an, original, an original definition was completely the opposite. It was an honorable thing to be called. So, yeah, they do it all the time. Oh, absolutely. So we have the influence of this illuminated uh, philosophy emanating out of Europe, um, co-opting the French Revolution, but I want to talk a little bit about how it uh, landed on American shores. You talked about Nicholas Bonneville and his friendship with Thomas Paine and how Paine became corrupted uh, in this after he had written uh, Common Sense, which was, I think, a great document. But this is later. Yes. And yes. Uh, and you talk about uh, Thomas Jefferson and and uh, Benjamin Franklin as possibly being a part of this. I think it's safe to say that they were men, definitely men of the left, but I, w w would you say that they were like conscious, witting participants in the illuminated um, conspiracy? Well, I look upon Jefferson as a man who had three lives. And mm -hmm. uh, when, when he was in Paris, as you all know, he got immersed in some pretty immoral things. And sure. that had its effect on him. Uh, but the the thing was that, that Jefferson kind of wallowed in this for a while. 
uh, once he became president, uh, he came out of it uh, to where he was almost like a federalist. And uh, but that immorality level of his that he had for a time affected his political thinking, and uh, it was the same with Franklin. I don't think Franklin, when he was in Europe, he was very much involved in the occult, uh, in in you know extracurricular sex and and everything else. He was very much involved with the Rosicrucians, uh, and he belonged to illuminated lodges. And by that, I don't mean that they were just superficially illuminated. They were controlled by the Illuminati. And he was, even his ghost writer, uh, Marabou, was a key member of the uh, Illuminati. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think that that Jefferson, I mean, that Franklin didn't really want to to have that style revolution in the United States. When he came home, he kind of left that a lot of that over there. But at the same time, he was still a libertine. And uh, he started to to help uh, illuminate some of the, to use that term, to illuminate some of the social mores rather than the right. actual form well, of well, government you make, itself. You make the right case that Jefferson and Franklin, at least at different stages in their lives, were libertine, and they were, you know, they they certainly were, you know, not uh, they contradicted conventional notions of morality. But but I mean, were they like winning conscious? members of the Illuminati? Were they actually, like, wanting to conspire to uh, turn the United States into a, a province of a world government and end all religion? Well, that's difficult to say. Now, as far as uh, the... We know from just superficial uh, look at documentation tells us that Jefferson was not a, a Christian, was, was actually an anti-Christian. Right. But as far as mm-hmm. answering your question goes... One of the biggest problems that we have is the de- destruction of documentation. Some of these times, uh, some of the things right. we know were destroyed. One of those things, and I wish I had the time and particularly the money, to go to Germany and, and see if the records that the Gestapo uh, confiscated when they occupied Paris uh, between the social circle and the uh, the Humidad Lodge and a number of those things that these men were involved in were all confiscated by the, the Gestapo and taken back into Germany. Now, did they destroy those documents or did they keep them? I don't know. It would be nice to find out, but I just have never had the time or the money to go to do those kinds of searches. As we know, the Germans kept meticulous records. And so I would imagine that somewhere along the line, somebody... Uh, got these because somebody gave them the order to confiscate it. Now it would be interesting to know who gave them the order to do that and what happened to these uh, documents afterwards because there's a straight line from the Illuminati into Nazism. And there are a lot of things that they did not want people to know. Uh, All the racial uh, problems and everything else, the the tremendous hatred for, for the inferior races, so to speak, uh, by the uh, the Nazi leadership is traceable to Göttingen University, where Adam Weishaupt found his final refuge, and the other Illuminati professors that were there were tremendous racists. And uh, so I think they wanted to to make sure that the record would not be known for the people to ferret it out. And uh, you know, one of the uh, real good uh, books on on this that's pretty, I think, it's still readily available. Is fire in the minds of men by oh Billington. yeah by James H Billington yeah 
who was yeah. the librarian of Congress. He was appointed by Reagan. It, it is a it is an excellent um, study of um, secret societies from the Illuminati to the Russian Revolution. Absolutely yeah. brilliant book. But it's uh, the, confined uh, to, itself you, pretty much to the United States. I mean, to the to Europe, rather. To Europe, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you know, you point out that it's very difficult to to do this kind of research because it destroyed so many documents. It's so true. I, I interviewed a woman. I forget her name right now. She wrote a fantastic book about um, the Soviet secret Soviet influence um, on the United States during World War II, and how the uh, yeah, people inside the government who were pro-Nazi, pro, pro-Soviet, pro like Hiss and others, how they manipulated Roosevelt. And uh, part of her research was to go back and take a look at some of the you know, research done by Senator Joseph McCarthy. And what she discovered was that uh, much of the information about McCarthy, including the article in Wheeling, West Virginia, that carried uh, the story of when he first broke uh, his research on, on communists inside government, that, that it was all gone. It had been all confiscated in the library. You couldn't get it. And there were other areas of important research. His list of communists, all this information is gone. It's been, you know, I mean, somebody's co-opted it. It's been wiped out. And well, so I found and that, that tells me that, yeah. I was going to say, I found that true of, of anything uh, in libraries that documented subversive, secret society, communist influence in the United States before 1900. Let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went to Houston, and uh, I went to uh, into the Texas room there, which is uh, the old library, in the old library, and they archive all this Texas research. And they had a file in there, and uh, you go in, and they, they reserve the right to search you and your persons before you leave. You can't use a pen or a pencil. They issue you a or at least when I was in there, they issued you a short stub of a very soft leaded pencil to use in case that you might brush it up against something and they wanted to be able to take it off easily. And uh, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, you couldn't go in, in, into the shelves. You, you had to ask a, a library assistant to bring you something and then give it back before you get something else. Anyway, I, I got three things out of the file, and I wrote them down on slips of paper. That was the maximum you could ask for, and I handed it to this librarian, uh, and I said, uh, could you pull these for me? I says, these two you'll have, this third one I doubt you'll have it. And she said, well, was it in the file? I said, yes, it was in the file. She says, well, we, we'll have it then. I said, well, I'll be pleasantly surprised. Forty-five minutes later, she came back and says, how did you know? that this was gone. And I said, because this had been disappearing systematically, concertedly, all over the country mm-hmm. in various libraries, even from the archives, where they have some amount of security. But in the interim, uh, she said, you know, you might be interested in this other paper that we've got in the file that's not in, uh, you know, in our files, but not in the file. And she said, it was about uh, the, the members of the Texas Rangers that belonged to the uh, Knights of the Golden Circle. And it was very <laughs> revealing, the stuff that she, she brought me. But uh, it, these sorts of things happen from library to library to library. I've gone into libraries where I've gone into the computers, for instance, and the books will come up stolen and, uh, and, and that kind of thing. There's been a systematic yeah. purging of the libraries of this kind of information uh, just as this woman's example with the McCarthy research, right? I mean, and you know, it's, I mean, it goes all the way up. I mean, w- more recently, I was in Washington D.C. 
I was with my wife who was attending a conference, and I decided to go to the National Archives to do a little research on uh, for a book I was writing at the time. I ended up not writing this book, but it had to do with communists in the Roosevelt administration. And what I discovered, and you, know, you go in there, you have to put on gloves, and it's all very antiseptic, as you just described. And um, the information that I wanted, what I discovered is that it's all still classified. Now, there's no reason for that stuff to be classified. Uh, you know, all of the principles are long dead. And this is just to protect reputations. It's to protect a bigger picture. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think that there's still information in this country and in our archives is classified going back to the War of 1812. I mean, there's an enormous amount of um, secret documents, and those are only the ones that exist. As you say, I mean, the stuff's been, you know, been purged. I mean, people go out, I mean... I mean, a, a kind of a more recent example, I suppose, during World War II was when uh, the the what when a folk band that eventually became known as the Weavers uh, recorded an album in 1940 attacking Roosevelt as a you know as a bourgeois capitalist, and because at that time they were supporting Hitler. You know, yep. This was before the uh, Operation Barbarossa, and their policy was to support both Hitler and Stalin, and they were suddenly quote unquote peace people. You know, they wanted to keep America out of the war. And um, about two weeks after that album was released, Hitler double-crossed Stalin, of course. The two uh, socialist behemoths went to war. And overnight, the new policy was that uh, the communists in this country and their followers would have become super warlike and patriotic all of a sudden. They wanted war. And that album was completely taken off of every shelf. You cannot get that now. You cannot find out the lyrics. It was completely purged from, from uh, it was completely censored. So, I mean, I bring this up only to point out that your research for your book, To the Victor Go the Myths and Monuments, that this is research that's really hard to come by. And I think you do a really good job of trying to, to work with a little bit of information that we have out there. Well, it's true. Uh, but like I said, it took me 45 years. And uh, yeah. sometimes, no, I mean, and every single everything in here, I mean, as I read it, I'm like, yeah, I'd like to look into this one further and maybe write my own book about it. I mean, there's just enormous, um, enormous, like, a uh, compendium of information here. Um, yeah, well, and, and, and it's on a subject that's very, very difficult because we don't have, have the information in front of us. Um, now, getting back well, to uh, the American founding, I mean, I, I tend to think that based on the information that we do have that um that generally speaking we this country maybe it's maybe it's divine providence but our founding fathers really were patriots including Jefferson and, and uh, Franklin at the end of the day and uh, even though Jefferson and Franklin might have been anti-religious i don't think they were trying to destroy religion and in fact Jefferson in his letter to the Danbury congregation i mean this has been completely um, altered and perverted by the left. The fact is he was telling them that he that there should be a wall of separation between religion and faith because he's quoting the Bible. I mean, that's right out of the Torah, that to build a hedge around uh, belief and, and to create a difference between the secular government and the faith so that the faith can be free and that people can be free to express that and that the faith would then serve as sort of a counterbalance and a restraining influence on government power. And that's how Jefferson meant that. And of course that's been taken by the left to mean that, you know, religion should be banned from this from from the public life. Sure. 
Well, yeah, the, it, in most people, they talk about the First Amendment, and they never actually seem to have read it, uh, which is shocking. Right. Uh, but uh, you know, there there are a lot of a lot of instances. Uh, for instance, just off the top of my head, where I know that documents existed but were destroyed. Uh, all of uh, Payne's uh, records were destroyed. All of uh, Aaron Burr's records were destroyed on their deaths mm-hmm. by their secretaries. All the records from the Confederate Secret Service were burned. All the letters that and correspondence that Judah Benjamin had. Uh, who was the Secretary of State and Secretary of War and a number, a number of offices in the Confederacy were all destroyed. Uh, and on and on you find these things uh, that these people, for some reason, did not want anyone after their death to learn what was in those those documents. Hmm. We even find that uh, Benjamin Butler, for instance, had somehow... Uh, in the investigation of the Lincoln assassination, it had carted off a number of documents that were found in the attic by his grandkids uh, once he died. Uh, but it doesn't say what happened to those documents uh, after that even. So there are a lot yeah. of things uh, of that nature that we wish we could have in front of us to take a look. In fact, I, I mentioned in my book, one of the purposes is to stimulate others from their vantage point uh, to look into these things and and find further research story even wider as to what was going on. Uh, and the other thing is, too, that it, you kind of talk about it in, in a tangential way, but um, we're never quite sure when one of these conspirators is telling the truth and when he isn't. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. they, they flip around, like you used the example of, of the Weavers. Uh, I remember yeah. as, a, as a kid, uh, there, there was a communist-controlled union on the waterfront of uh, Seattle, and they had put up all these posters during the Korean War saying, we've got to get rid of that dirty, rotten MacArthur. He's terrible, on and on and on. And mm. Truman finally fired him, and they plastered over <laughs> the the MacArthur the yes. posters with the anti-Truman posters. Got to get rid of this Truman. He fired this great General MacArthur. And I thought, what a Good example, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's. I mean, after they finally most likely get rid of Donald Trump, I'm sure that they're all going to now become conservatives because it, it fits their agenda. Now, we're, we're reaching toward the end of the program here. My guest is author R. Thompson, the author of Food and Victor Go to Myths and Monuments. Um, I want to bring things up since we only have a few minutes left here, author, to the election, which is only about 20, 25 days from now. Um, I think that Donald Trump may be inadvertently, I don't think consciously necessarily, but he has stumbled onto the um, the existence of this internationalist, uh, Wall Street-controlled, multinational left-wing um, entity that seeks to create a world order. And he's done it in a spectacular way. He's woken people up. I don't know if he's. Uh, 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 I don't know, you know, whether or not he personally is aware of that. Who knows? But the fact is that he has done this in the same way in England that the pe- people woke up and they got rid of the uh, membership in the European Union, and the result is that you have an opposition to him that is fiercer than anything that I have ever seen. It's not just the liberals, of course, and the Democrats, but it's the Republican establishment that's actually doing him in state by state, and the level of, of voter fraud and uh, 
the, the complete control by the media is so open and so blatant that either I must think that they assume that they've become so powerful at this point that they can do, do this and get away with it openly, or they're just trying to do whatever they can to stop Trump. And, that, and it's, I mean, the fierceness of it is unprecedented, I think, probably since the Civil War. What do you think is going on here? Well, I agree with you, uh, but how old are you? I'm um, 55. Okay. So you didn't live through the tremendous attack on the John Birch Society, which was about the same as it is with Trump. It was just constant and consistent. The thing is that there's even subtleties in this attack. Uh, I don't know if Trump knows everything or not. I, I don't have a clue. But even Fox News and Fox, you know, the the regular Fox stations oh, used no. to be a little more subtle about their attacks on Trump. But now some of them are so openly bla- uh, brazen about it. It's so, just incredible. I think when he if when, if he loses, I don't know if he's going to win or not. I there are indications that these polls and, and such are not accurate, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Even uh, there's going to be voter fraud too. I mean, I could even in. Oh, I would even, it's been I mean, it's 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 open. I mean, in several states, they've already, they have a guy in uh, Pennsylvania who's bragging. He's a postal worker about how many Trump ballots he's destroyed. I mean, it's it's to my way of thinking. I mean, it's it's always been there. I mean, certainly Obama used it, but this is more. It's just. It's almost like they're not doing it. They're not even pretending to be secretive about it. They're just saying, "Hey, we have to stop Trump no matter what. This is, you know, we're going to do whatever we say." I mean, I think Trump should watch his back. Well, not only that, but if he loses, he's going to find that his empire is going to crumble around him. They're not going to allow his empire to, his, his business empire to stand. They will do everything they can to destroy him. Oh no, nobody will ever hear from him again. Yeah. I mean, this is a it's a fight for life. But but what do you think? I mean, of the phenomena of, I mean, I have never heard in my lifetime a candidate bring up things like putting America first and mean it and national sovereignty and protecting America's borders and you know economic policies that protect American industry. And, you know, I mean, the, the the stuff that he's bringing up is that that's the problem. I mean, that that, that this establishment's having. I mean, he's really stepped on landmines. Well, if he does, if he gets elected and just keeps two promises, it will go a long way towards preserving the United States. And one is, is massive immigration. And the other is right. these, uh, these trade partnerships and, uh, and, right. and all that, which revolves around the TPP and, and those sorts of things. You know, those were uh, issues that the John Birch society was involved in, uh, you know, 15, 20, and longer years ago, uh, trying to, to get people to wake up that this is a real serious danger uh, to the sovereignty uh, of the United States and what that means. Most people, they, they don't realize what the, what sovereignty means. Uh, I just was uh, given some school texts uh, when I was in Texas last week showing me what they're teaching kids relative to just standard facts and, uh, for instance, one of the things that, that the, the War of Independence, that made the Continental worthless. 
Now it's a total. Oh, yeah. It's a, a real twist of of what inflation really is, and so on and so forth. But they can tell enough of it to say, well, we talk about it, but not enough for anybody reading it to understand it. Uh, and, well, and yeah, people have no idea what monetary issues are now. I mean, those, these were issues that used to be discussed in every election, and now mm-hmm. it's you know, and this is. I'd like to do a whole separate show on. on that one with you, Arthur, sometime because it's a great issue. I mean, I happen to admire Andrew Jackson's taking on the second bank. I think maybe you and I don't totally agree on that, but but uh, either way, I mean, the the you know the, the history of America's money is 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 really where everything is sort of the epicenter of of where everything is buried. But, well, uh, but thing, Arthur, the, I, I've reached toward the toward, yeah. Where, where well, did you get to, your book, Arthur? Oh, they can get it from uh, jbs.org or shopjbs.com, uh, and they can either get it hardbound. Softbound is, I think, $15, but they can uh, okay. go online and, and order it, either jbs.org or shopjbs.com. I mean, excuse me. All yeah, right, that's Arthur, right. listen, I've really enjoyed the conversation, and thank you very much. We'll do it again soon. Okay, thank you. So long. Bye. All right, take care. Bye-bye. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like, Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. 